Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and today's guest is Dimitri Fantini, a great drummer and instructor based out of Maryland. I personally subscribe to his Patreon, and I suggest you do just the same thing. I first heard of Dimitri from a lighthearted video posted by Tim Baltus, better known as Timbo from Kino on Instagram. It's a mock, cut-together online lesson between the two of them. It's really funny. Also, Tim is a monster player, and I will link that post in the show notes. Okay, so since Dimitri is technically one of my online instructors, I thought I'd invite him on the show to discuss a few myths we both hear that are taught that are wrong. At least we think they're wrong. So let us know if you agree or disagree. Uh, They're all subjective. That's the point of this whole thing. So email me at ben at bigfatsnaredrum.com, and maybe some of your opinions will be read at the beginning of the next show. So push send. Oh, and at the beginning of our conversation, Dimitri is referencing Woody, a guy named Woody, uh, who is a Philadelphia-based drummer named Woody Sutton. All right, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dimitri. So when I was 11 years old or so, I don't know, I don't remember the exact age, I took my very first drum lesson, uh, which was with Woody. I'd been playing my entire life uh, prior to that, but this was my first real lesson. And Woody came over to my house, I had a set of V-drums, and he sat down with me and taught me everything I ever needed to know about hand technique in a single lesson. He taught me... Well, before I even go over that stuff, um, when the lesson was over, and I didn't even know this at the time, but after after the lesson was over, I was told that that it went on for four straight hours, and I had <laughs> okay. no idea. I had no idea that it had been that long of a lesson, and I was 11 years old. I just wanted to sit there and get the next thing and, and the next thing and and absorb it all, and I I. I I think Woody just wanted to keep going and he could see that I was just wanting to take in everything and learn as much as I could. So he taught me in one lesson, in one four hour lesson when I was 11, he taught me everything from posture and grip to like properly feeling the rebound to control strokes, upstrokes, molar technique, uh, double technique with and out rebound, open close technique. Uh, French grip, all of that stuff in one thing. And also, he taught me how to practice this stuff, which was very essential, how to sit there very carefully. And this is kind of what we're going to go over, um, what we have planned for today. But he taught yeah. me how to work on that for years and years and years and develop uh, my hand technique. It, that was lesson one with him. So I'm so just so grateful to this day that I got that. And I was I feel very lucky that I got that at a young age. Oh, sure. And it's, he was probably stoked that talking about Woody that, I mean, cause the stuff you're talking about, I don't agree with this, but I'm sure a lot of other 11 year olds would be like, this is the most boring stuff. I just want to play ACDC. So the fact that he had a kid that was like, don't teach me about wrist technique and like, <laughs> oh, you keep it on the, on your pinky. It never leaves the pinky. And like, he was probably like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is the best day of my life. Maybe, maybe that's the case. I, I think it's also that I, I had, rekindled my love of drums and music uh at that point and started to pl- pick up playing the drums more and i had mm-hmm. s- seen him play 
and he was a monster player. So I knew, you know, he was he was giving me what it takes to, to start to to reach that goal. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was all about like if your goal is to be you know, eventually, you know, become a masterful player for lack of a better term, this is the kind of stuff that it takes for many years and many hours, you know? Yeah, yeah. In full disclosure, I am a Patreon of yours. And so this, and this is exactly why I have you on the show, because I 100% agree with that last statement, because I am a professional drummer, but I have hit a plateau where um, there are things I want to do in my little brain that sometimes I can't execute in my little hands. And and so going back to the most basic of, and I don't, I don't mean basic, but the most elementary um, technique uh, lessons is what yeah. I need to do. And it's it's scary because it's uh, it makes me feel like I've never touched a drumstick before because I have a lot of bad habits that, um, well, let me, I'll, I'll pivot this way. So what is the usual level of students that you teach? That's a, that's a good question. I, I honestly have taught every single level. I mean, I, I keep a, a small base of students and, and so it kind of it kind of shifts over time. But um, I, I teach everything from like people that are just starting to advanced players and everything in between. And I love teaching new students because mm-hmm. I have that same perspective of being in that exact place. And I was so lucky to get, um, I think, what you need to work on in order to if your goal is to become a professional drummer. Uh I got that, so I know how to give that to a brand new student, and I am always really excited about that. So, I mean, one of my one of my current students right now has his name is Adniel. Shout out to Adniel. He is six years old and a fantastic drummer, oh, nice. and he started with me when he was four and a half years old. Uh, he started taking lessons with me, and he was already playing drums, and and he's just he was just one of those uh, kids that just got it and loved music and drums, and it was. He was just a he is just a total natural. So that's been exciting for me because I have that same perspective and I know what it's like to be that young and love the drums and be ready to learn and just be inside the music. So I really teach all levels and ages. It's a blast. What is a uh, one of the main or a few of the main bad habits you see from a person who's been playing a while that comes to you to be like, hey, I finally want to take this seriously because I want to have some longevity in my career and not hurt myself. What are the main bad habits? Oh, that's in, that's a very good question. I would say generally with almost every student I get, I, I tend to start back from ground zero with mm-hmm. everything from, from grip and rebound and, and really honing that. So most students, including advanced players, we I, I tend to take them back to that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, if I had to pick out something specific, I, f- I notice with many, many players that their back fingers on the stick are not, they're not taking advantage of those back fingers. And that causes a chain reaction of problems within their grip and technique. Um, and so many players make it work, but they're fighting against themselves because they haven't, uh, optimized their grip and their back fingers. So that would, if I had to pick out one small little detail, it would probably be that. And I think that's a bad habit of mine. I actually just, just kind of realized that with my left hand, 
you know, because you do the whole like slowly go finger to finger. My right hand always does what I want to do. My left hand does not. And so you go like finger by finger, like yeah. it feels like this on the right hand and the left hand. And I was always, my left mm -hmm. hand was always kind of going towards that little valley and just having it in that little cushion to the left, a little fatty little part allows you to have a little more oh, of a yes. whipping motion. So that's definitely a huge thing. My left hand and my, the back fingers in my left hand for sure. But um, so we had talked about before we started recording that I went to wine school for a while and it kind of ruined my ability while I was going to school to enjoy a glass of wine. I was just like analyzing it the mm. whole time. Um, right, right, do right. You, do you get that way with like when you watch players, you're just like analyzing their technique and you're like, oh my God, there's that. Uh, uh. I, I almost don't want to say because I'll, I'll sound like a grouch, but I'm not, <laughs> but I'm not a grouch and I, and I, and I love all drummers and and i am obsessed with watching other drummers um yeah. and love out of joy of that but i also do notice all those little things uh i <laughs> it poor technique doesn't bug me as much as as like poor grip doesn't bug me as much okay. as poor execution if, if if timing is off and they're supposed to be a professional or a well-known teacher I get a little annoyed by that, <laughs> but we won't get that into that too too much publicly. <laughs> this yeah, this will be the, uh, the 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 bonus episode where you just dig in and actually name specific names. Um, <laughs> so, and this is kind of a good kind of segue to what you just said, or from what you just said. So, you've said in the past, and dear God, I know I'm paraphrasing this right now, but it's not about having perfect technique. It's about if they play a couple notes, does it mean a lot, and so mm -hmm. as a teacher, and then we'll get into the, the main, uh, the meat of this episode, but as a teacher, how do you approach a student that has good technique, but you feel that they're just really um, mechanical about things? Do you have a way that you kind oh. of, like, is there a drummer you show them or a, a style of drumming that helps people open up? Or how do you bridge that gap between you're efficient or proficient, now actually say something with your instrument? I, I love that question because when I do come across those students and colleagues and, and stuff, and if, if that's where the lessons and the relationship goes to, it's such a incredible thing to build with, between each other and a fascinating subject that I care so much about. And to, to be honest, I don't get to talk about it with many people. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll give you another example. And this is another, you know, because of COVID and the popularity of online lessons jumping in 2020, I was approached by a student. Her name is Judith and she lives in Germany and we started lessons and she reminded me a lot of the way I was as a, as a kid in my first lessons of just pure, like loving it so much and wanted to learn as much about the drums as possible to, to reach my musical goals. And sh so she has come to me with so many questions. Not only do have we gone through all the technique stuff, but then that moved on to like, what does it mean to be more free on the drums and improvise and bring your emotions across on the instrument? Uh, sh she'll come to me with, 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 in a lesson with a list of questions about how you come up with parts in the studio or, Things like that. So I don't know if you asked me a, a question within that, but like 
I forget what the question was that started with started this. <laughs> Knowing me, I just meandered and then just stopped talking. <laughs> well, so that well, so I'm just continuing the trend, and it's fun. So I love <laughs> yeah. when the that relationship between the student and the teacher goes to that place where you're talking about those things and exploring. Oh, now I remember the question. So your your question was, what do I do for those students that are more mechanical? And at that point. Mm -hmm. We're, we're talking a, so much less about, um, you know, well, all the mechanical stuff. And it becomes more about being in touch with your emotions and how do you connect your inner voice and maybe even your actual voice that you're speaking with? How do you connect those two things to your hands, to the sticks, to the drums, to the music? How do you kind of bridge all those things? What kind of mental states does that take? Where do you find your inspiration from? Oh, it's certainly not all drummers. I, it's not just drummers is what I meant to say. Yeah. So that's such a fascinating thing. I, I love when the, when the lessons take that direction. It's really what I'm all about. <laughs> but the players that I think of, which are the ones that have influenced me the most, they're the ones that when you watch them and listen to them play, you can immediately feel how connected they are to the music, how, how present in the moment they are. And that's extremely tangible emotionally. And you get this so clearly. Uh, I th immediately think of Brian Blade. Mm. I think of Keith Carlock. Benny Greb is a great example. Nate Smith is a very good example as well. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of others that I am, I can't remember off the top of my head. But all of, all of those drummers, for instance, you can tell that they're playing from their heart and they're just completely in the moment. And it's, and it's about that first. And everything else mm. they're doing is serving that function which is then connecting to the listener so that's and that's also so those are the guys and girls that i can think of off the top of my head that, that are doing that that i that i connect with the most and also that is what i was lucky enough to be taught of which is that's the point of technique so that you can just express yourself and be in the moment without any barriers to what you want to say musically yeah, I'll, I'll echo Brian Blade. One of my favorite performances is is him uh, fellowship band, him and his fellowship band. Mm -hmm. There, it's like yeah. it's like a KEXP performance, and his drums. It's one of the best drum performances I've seen in a long time. It's like from 2016, I want to say, but I'll drop a link in the uh, show I, notes. I know the one. Yeah, 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 exactly. Little twinkie lights behind <laughs> him, and it's it's so good. I mean, he can hit it so soft, and it still has so much tone to it. All right, so the show is called Big Fat Five, but we couldn't really think of a fifth one that was worthy, that was worthy of, of kind of dissecting because we didn't want to just do it to have five because that seems like we're shortchanging you guys by just talking about a fifth one for the sake of talking about it. So <laughs> we have four that we really believe in. So it's the Big Fat Four today. The, the Big Fat Four, the tiny, me <laughs> mediocre four. Um, <laughs> yeah, for the fifth one, maybe you guys uh, in, the, in the Instagram post, Facebook post of this, just... Say which ones you guys think is is a lie that uh, that your drum teacher told you, or something that you've you were told not necessarily a lie, but that it just doesn't work for you, or you don't resonate with um, as a more progressed player. So, 
let us know and smash that mm -hmm. like button. Anyways, um, all right, so, <laughs> so number one. And again, so what we're gonna say is the myth or lie. So we don't believe what we're saying. We're just gonna say the lie that we've been heard or we've heard, and then we will dissect that and say why we think it's not true. All right, so lie number one, only practice what you're bad at, and if you sound good, you're not practicing. That's a lie. So with this is an interesting one that I've heard a lot and I've heard a lot more over the past couple of years, probably just because of, you know, being present on social media and seeing what other people are saying, drummers, drummer to drummer, and also drum teacher to drummer. And mm -hmm. the lie being uh, or the myth being that if you sound good when you're practicing, you're not actually practicing. This is something that is true some of the time, but if you mm -hmm. take it to heart, it causes a lot of issues in your development as a player. And the overarching reason for that is that practice, practicing your instrument is all about muscle memory. It's all about what you practice and how you practice and how you sound when you practice is what your body's going to memorize and how it's going to come out when you play. Mm -hmm. So if you sound, if, if you're practicing something and you, it sounds iffy, you are teaching your body to play it that way. And that's the thing that, well, you, you know, Ben, because, um, and I didn't know this, because this is what we talked about a week ago, that you were my very first subscriber on Patreon, and I'm putting all, all these lessons there. You know, yeah. from, from the way that I, th from the way that I teach that stuff, that I, I really try to stress that if you take something such as your core fundamental technique or your core timing when you practice your single strokes, for instance, the sooner you can get that to sound great, the better. Because then, and I'm talking about very slow speeds, if you then just continue to practice that over and over and over again and you sound good when you practice that, it's that's what your muscle memory will become. Great timing, great technique, sounding good when you want to play. But that only comes from sounding good when you practice. Sounding good as you're practicing those single strokes and your double strokes and your grooves and everything. That's the short version, I think. Hey, man, if, if you want to give me a longer version, go ahead. I mean, I know that this is, they don't have to be even. If you want to have a little more pontificating on this one, by all means, man. Well, well, let's see, because and this is the one when when you approached me about this, uh, this is the one that I immediately thought of because because yeah. I do see this repeated often that you should sound bad when you're practicing because you're trying to improve things that you're not good at. Mm -hmm. I I think that just uh, that just misses the mark because it's a small part of a big picture. Mm -hmm. If you're not good at something on the drums, what I would recommend you do is break it down to its smallest pieces at the slowest speed you can possibly imagine. And then even slower than that, because you're not thinking, you're, you're thinking that you should do it faster than you really should. So you break yeah, something yeah. down that you're not good at to its smallest elements, the most fundamental stuff, slow it down. And if it's not perfect, that's about the only time I think you should be allowed to not sound good. Okay. It, let's say you're practicing single strokes as quarter notes at 50 BPM and you're playing right, left, right, left. Mm -hmm. 
if that isn't perfect with a click, that is actually, that's okay. But that's the time to actually refine and perfect it right then and there before you go any faster with your single strokes. Because that becomes the absolute foundation of how your brain has has memorized these things. If you can perfect it there, then every time you go to practice and then you sleep on that, your brain is processing what you're doing and it's starting to memorize great technique and great timing and great the great sound if, if you're making sure that the elements are right then. So sounding bad when you practice at the very beginning of a new paradigm you're working on, that's when it's to me okay. But then you mm-hmm. fix it at that core level, that fundamental level, and then you just repeat it perfectly once you get there over and over and over again. And, you know, we're talking hundreds of hours. Then yeah. it'll just naturally be better when you speed it up. I, the problem is if you, if you speed it up at that point and you let yourself play, let's say, 16th notes at 100 BPM, so one eenda, two eenda, something, some tempo like that. If you're not perfect there, but you think you can kind of refine your timing a little bit at a time, that's where it's a going to be much more difficult to fix the little the, the small uh, mistakes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And also, you're spending time practicing and absorbing imperfect timing into your muscle memory. Yep. So, like for instance, the way I, I've I've taught in the Patreon lessons that you've seen, and the way that I was taught was perfect my single strokes or my double strokes very very slow extremely slow get them perfect then and then let's say if i'm playing 16th notes 50 bpm and i really have them down um, and i can do them easily effortlessly and it feels like it's not too much effort to do them at that place rather if in this scenario i try them at 65 bpm and it's a little iffy and i can detect that my timing isn't perfect or my dynamics are inconsistent the lie would be to the myth or the lie would be to practice it at that imperfect speed and refine it. And that's the mistake mm-hmm. because you're memorizing that with your body and with your brain. Rather, if you're if you can't play it perfectly at 65, don't practice at 65. Don't try to improve it there. Go back to 50 where you were great and just keep doing it there for an hour. And then the next day, try a little bit faster and see if it's perfect. That's really yeah. the secret to like truly dialing the stuff in. Um, and if you do that, you can get your technique and your chops up very, very fast, like in a very short amount of time than you might think. It's pretty awesome. So that's, no, I think that's my kind of like breakdown. I love it. I love it. And you can also, there's something to be said about. The mental anguish that always mm. sounding bad in the in the in the practice studio sounds because I would always yeah. be like, yeah. you know, people would compliment my drumming or if I'm having a bad day and my my friends or my girlfriend is like, you're a great drummer. I'm like, you've only seen the polished five percent at a show. You're not in there <laughs> with me when I'm hating myself for hours a day. And it's like. Mm. That's what it does. And so I'm saying I have a bad perspective. I should do what you're saying more because. Yeah, a lot of it, if I'm just doing, working on like ghost notes, 16th notes with my left hand while playing like eighth notes in my right hand, you know, and it's like, I have a tendency to always push myself and be like, oh, it sounded good for two measures, but then the rest of them sound like crap, but I keep myself doing that. 
it, it puts you in a bad mental state and you end up looking at the drums and just being upset. And that's, that's going to hinder you more than, more than a lot of other things. Uh, you know, another thing to touch on mental states when you're practicing become playing states because you are, you are teaching your brain to go to that place when you mm -hmm. play. So if you're frustrated when you're playing, when you're, I'm sorry, if you're frustrated when you're practicing, that, that comes out emotionally when, when you go to perform. Uh, mm -hmm. And so mental states, like we were talking about uh, drummers that come from um, connected to the music and being in the moment, your mental state when you practice is something you should, you can and should practice. And so that's a really interesting thing as well to like how you listen, practicing how you listen to a click or listen to music and, and sit inside it and all that interesting stuff. So yeah, the mental state as well, like it's a big part of it. Hey guys, we'll be right back with the show, but I wanted to talk real quick about Waves Audio. I use an endless amount of their plugins, including the vocal writer for this podcast. And for my drumming, I use the SSL channel, Abbey Road Saturator, CLA Drums for that easy, quick, polished sound, and, and many, many more. We're an affiliate member, and if this show brings you any sort of value, please kick the please kick. <laughs> please click the link in the show notes to make your next purchase. It supports me directly and helps keep the show going. So, all right, now back to the top five ways to make soup. I'm going to see if I can clarify for a second and see if you agree with me or not. What you're saying is not to say if you're having a bad day in the studio and you can't figure something. You're not saying just put on your favorite record that you know you can play perfectly and go back to all your bad habits just so you can walk out of the practice space being like, I'm still an amazing drummer. What you're saying is if you're not working on something, don't just go to this like this drug of a beat that'll make you feel good right away. You're saying slow it down. Yeah, and so that is the truth that a lot of us are told by our music teachers, which is slow it down, slow it down, slow it down. And then I think the main point we want to add is that keep it there so that it's perfect as soon as possible, and then you have to maintain that as your practice and develop the muscle memory of it staying perfect at the slow speeds. That just naturally becomes the technique and timing that you bring to all your playing once you go back to more performance situations and performance tempos, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I still go back and, and I, play one and two and as singles or something all the time. I, I'm still doing that all the time. I think a lot of people, myself included, move on too quickly from basic stuff because they're like, oh, of course I can do this. You know, like, like, and I mean this in a positive way, but it's going to sound negative right off the bat. When I first mm -hmm. did your first few lessons of your Patreon, um, yeah, and I again I mean this in the best way because you're teaching it the right way. You would teach something somewhat elementary and then be like, "All right, work on that for a few weeks." And the first few times, I was like, "That's not going to take me a few weeks. What's the, what's the, what you know what the heck?" And then like four <laughs> days into it, I'm like, "God, I I hope he doesn't put out a new lesson anytime soon because I have a few months on this stuff." <laughs> You know, it's like people really don't realize how having a good whipping motion, having a good, and we're going to talk about this later, but having a good, you yeah. know, like the drop doubles, I'm not sure how you describe them, um, but having a good uh, controlled rebound, that stuff yeah. takes a long time. Even though you think you're doing this this elementary thing over and over again, that's actually what it takes. Not learning yeah. some lick and, you know, we'll get into the more of that, but... But yeah, that's absolutely right. It's um, it takes longer than you think 
But when you work on your fundamentals mm. and you very carefully refine and perfect them first, it takes longer, but then you get better faster because you don't exactly. start hitting bumps on the road. The, those are those are what I was so lucky to learn um, from my drum teacher in that first drum lesson. You know, all that hand technique stuff. That sounds like the lesson that ended all lessons. That sounds like I wish I was there too. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So lie number two. Lie number two is there is one, and I have a lot of, this has really screwed me up. Um, there is one correct way to hold the stick. Well, actually, I'm curious to hear you talk about this for a minute. Not to call out any specific drum teachers, but any drum teacher that tells you this is how you hold it, like this at all times, um, without mm -hmm. then saying, but there's this, 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 this. They're not doing a disservice by saying to hold it like this, but by not yeah. saying that second part. It limits students because they're like, if I go to the floor time, it has to it it, it it has to be in this one thing that I was told. It has to stay here. So that um, yeah. allowing myself to believe and trust my hands while still remembering basic technique that you do, that you talk about. That was a big thing for me to be OK with your stick kind of moving around and your fulcrum moving around. And, you know, it's yeah. like an ocean. I love what you just said uh, to trust your hands. And the, the yeah. way the wording I tend to say is to listen to your body when you're doing this stuff, because mm -hmm. if there's only one, if there's only one exact, very specific way to hold and move a stick, uh, you're going to, you're going to feel restricted a ton of the time. And you're actually going to mm -hmm. find that you can't relax your body and you can't execute what you're trying to because you're uh, adhering to rules that are getting in your way. Yes. So I'm actually, well, I'm curious to hear what you think about my hand technique lessons that you've gone through, because I do teach ways to move a stick or hold a stick. No, sure, sure. And I was scared you were going to ask this. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> so you do it, and not to, just because you're here, say it's, it's, it's the right way, but yours allows for the stick to move a little more. And you also talk mm -hmm. about, um, more so about like the whipping motion um, and... Yeah the overall movement of your stick, but you don't necessarily say that it has to be this at all times. You kind of give yeah. a good ho home base for when you're doing a more of an mm -hmm. American um, singles and doubles, but at least in the, in, in the lessons so far, we haven't gotten into- Home base makes sense, yeah. Yeah, like when you're going to a, a ride or when you're going to a floor tom, you're obviously gonna like, if you just look at how your arms open up, like if you're gonna hug someone, mm -hmm. you're gonna go into more of a French grip. Um, and at least in the videos I've seen of yours so far, you haven't had a chance to dissect that in a, in, in a way for me to answer the question in a proper way. Um, but w watching you play on Instagram, you, you definitely do all the things that I'm, I'm, I'm talking about where you listen to your body, your right. wrist is going to open up, you know, sometimes you're going to be in that, when you go to the right symbol, it has that first fulcrum. And then when you're doing a backbeat, maybe you're, you still have the gap on the left hand, but it closes up a little bit because you're obviously having more power so you don't want your sticks to fly off but the fundamentals that you teach when it comes to just the ergonomics of how your wrist works it's it's uh i think it's objectively the way to do that oh well thank you well i think do you, do I you think still like me what i like to say is <laughs> <laughs> well I, I i first of all thank you and also i what i like to say about this stuff is that these are what i teach they're all guidelines they're not actual rules i, I love yeah just a referring to referencing Pirates of the Caribbean, but also it's very true <laughs> that there's always exceptions to everything because there, it's more like if you if you 
focus on sticking within certain principles, that's going to help you the most. And, and the fir- I mean, the first principles are stay as relaxed as possible and listen to your body. Those are the first, the, in, in terms of technical principles, do that mm-hmm. first and foremost. And then we have like, you know, the actual details of, you know, your back fingers are so crucial for 95% of what you're playing. But then there's exceptions to that. You, like, I'm not going to use my back fingers when I play a buzz roll, for instance. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to put my finger on top of the stick if I want to do a, I think it's called a stick shot. I don't even know what they're called. You know, if I want to press into the head, I'll you, use yeah. my top finger on top of the stick. But otherwise, that's definitely... Um, not going to be a good technique. So there's exceptions to everything. And uh, that's just kind of my approach is like, listen to your body first. And floor tom, French grip makes sense, except for other situations when both your hands are on the floor tom and you're playing something that could be a different grip. So, I mean, orchestration changes things. And also, like, where you're orchestrating from could totally change that. And you know, we're doing a video chat, so you can see me waving my arms around like like a silly person. Oh, people but can hear the wind. Anyway, so yeah, so that's my thought. I'll do it. Yeah, the wind. Do it. Like- yep. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, and maybe this is just my personal journey, but I didn't until very recently do a day and multiple days. I still do it all the time of just playing, playing a a, a basic fill around my like you know four piece kit, and just yeah. f- doing it one way. And then doing it where like maybe my my left hand opens up when I go to the rack tom, the high tom, maybe doing more of a French grip there. Okay, that that, that does feel better yeah. when I open up in that way. And then when I go to the floor tom, if I end it up, maybe my left hand stays with an American grip. But for those quick ones, my right hand is in a French grip with my left hand still has the more American. It's like actually going around your yeah. kit and just realizing and then memorizing that of where i go and then after a while once you realize that you'd be surprised how much more what your head what's inside your head can then come out because you're not you know to quote dave elich getting in your own way you know it really is you kind of have right. to listen to your body and to me it's like no it's always american grip and it has to be this certain way and yeah, you got to listen to yourself that's great i love what you just said about exploring your kit and how you orchestrate and and what then works and it does take that self exploration and experimentation and it also depends on your kit i've had i i mm-hmm. have had many different unusual kit setups uh, over the years where i've then experimented with the best way to orchestrate and cross over and do this and that and just mm-hmm. so that i can then do it freely you know and the key is like listening to your body staying relaxed finding out how to do that optimally so that was myth 2 i think I did. There is a, th- a kind of a, I guess, a bastard child that we decided not to do, but it kind of tied in with number one that mm. I had brought up um, to you this, I think it was on Best of 2020, uh, part one, okay. where Brody Simpson was talking about dynamics and repeatability of dynamics are yes. so important. Yes. And that's a groove. And he he had a little anecdote about how sometimes he'll record a drummer and just because with modern technology everyone wants to be gridded out and you know perfectly on the grid so a drummer will play he'll perfectly grid it out and then it still feels off because in like a single stroke the right hand is higher than the left hand so it's like it is in time but it sounds wrong and i know that you had disagreed with me in a friendly way that you didn't want to (laughs) de-emphasize timing over dynamics but 
my view still is that dynamics, if I had to pick a drummer that sounded, that had no dynamics, but was in perfect time, yeah, I would always choose the drummer that was a little looser, but had better dynamics. Um, Mm-hmm. in any style yeah, of music, I, I would say. Yeah. And so it's it's yeah. not like I want to do like a dynamics or greater than timing, but I think a lot of a lot of teachers um, do right off the bat talk more about being to a metronome as opposed to knowing the difference between when you want to accent and like when you're doing uh, a paradiddle or like you know like sure. a six stroke roll yeah. being able to have those ghost notes be different and sometimes someone's like oh i can do the right left left right right left and do that a million miles an hour but it just sounds like gunshots and you're like well yep. now you have to strip all that away and know how to do those two doubles or two sets of doubles in between at lower volumes and how to make that sound absolutely musical. and so yeah no that's that's absolutely true yeah and what i do is i emphasize that if like playing practicing those dynamics different different levels of dynamics and dynamic changes within your playing mm-hmm. and making sure they're all in time because your your stroke type and your dynamic level uh, or stick height rather all of that you have to make sure it's always in time and no matter how high or how low your stick is off of the drum or cymbal that it always creates the note and the impact itself is going to hit when you intend it. So the pathway in between the notes is so crucial in terms mm-hmm. of dynamics and timing and consistency. So it's all, you know, you can really dive really deep into that. Yes, and you talk about that specifically on, I believe, on your Patreon to give you some shout outs. It was uh, Applying Rudiments to the Drum Set Part 1. You do talk about when you're on the snare drum and being in time, but making your your singles sound, mm-hmm. you know, if you close your eyes, you don't know where you are um, at all different levels and at all different areas of the kit, you know, uh, or all, all different areas of the drum, you know, the rim shots, the actual rims, you know, center of the drum, off center. And uh, anything you wanted to talk about? I feel like we didn't get as as argumentative as, as I was hoping we'd be. Oh, that's because that's because I'm just a generally pleasant guy to talk to. Boo! All right. Anyways, um, so number three, uh, and this is something that I deal with on a daily basis, on a second by second basis. Learning Ooh. lie number three: learning more stuff or patterns will make you a better drummer. That's a big thing that trips people up because they're trying to new learn new things instead of really learning what they can do with what they already can play. Mm-hmm. So, I. I'm often emphasizing that besides grooves, if I'm playing patterns, I, I'm, you know, 80% of the time I'm playing single strokes. Like mm-hmm. it's, that is such a core thing and you can do so much with that, that if you haven't explored everything you can do with single strokes on one drum and then on two drums and then on a kit, then there's still more you're, you can discover and ways mm-hmm. you can express yourself musically and rhythmically and the phrases you can play and the, the melodies you can imply. Uh, so I hear, for instance, you know, we, we mentioned, I, I mentioned this to you. I hear people talking about how they're mastering this page or all of these pages from stick control. And I look at the book and I'm like, that's like 40 patterns. Why would you do that? Uh, I would rather just stick to two, stick to two patterns. And I mean, this goes back to myth number one, 
et cetera, et cetera. But there's so much you can do with just singles or just doubles or just paradiddles. And you're going to find so much mileage out of that. And you're going to find your own sound out of that as well. If you, fi- if you find a sticking that resonates with you, you're like, oh, I can do all these cool things with it. Then keep doing that over and over again and find everything that, that works with that sticking that works for you. It's going to become something that is unique to you and part of your sound and identity and voice. And it's all about, you know, if you want to have a voice, then playing fewer things is actually pretty cool. Uh, and you see this so many times in so many musicians that they always, they, they have their bag of tricks or they have their go-to patterns or rhythms or phrases and that makes them them. And they've just done so much with those fewer, smaller number of things. I can think of musicians like Steve Gadd, talking drummers, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, he has, he has a sound and a style and a certain number of fills and grooves and patterns that he tends to go back to because they're amazing. And he really (laughs) pours every fiber of his being and stays in the moment and goes for that stuff. And that's why it works Mm -hmm. so amazingly. Yep. Steve Gadd is a great example in terms of drummers. Uh, I could also name, I think of Thelonious Monk. He has a very specific mm-hmm. style. Uh, and, you know, a lot a lot of players th- that today maybe we'd call masters, they're not masters of everything on their instrument. They're masters of their things on their instrument. And they, they found their sound, and that's what they can do. Hey, y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely. It's loud. And it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye well i will i will piggyback off what you're saying um, I will say the ones that the the three that really jump out to me that uh, didn't focus on 
these flashy patterns are Levon Helm, Jim Gordon, and Ringo Starr. So those three drummers right there probably make up, I mean, not so much Levon Helm, that may be a little more obscure, but Jim Gordon. Let's put Bernard Purdy in there as well. Bernard Purdy's a great one. Jim Gordon, Ringo Starr, Bernard Purdy, maybe Hal Blaine, probably 70% of the records that are like objectively timeless records from the 60s, 70s are those three drummers. Um, probably. Yes. And, um, yeah, it's, you have to learn, you have to think about your end goal when it comes to learning, say this like crazy lick that you found on YouTube. Um, what is your end goal? Is your end goal to impress other drummers? And the older you get, you realize that that thing that you think you're doing to impress other drummers to be like, oh, you're a great drummer in their heads doesn't impress them. The thing that impresses most drummers is choices and a good groove. But I think a lot of people, when they learn these grooves and they spend so much time on this specific pattern, it's like, how much are you actually going to use that thing that you're spending so much time Mm -hmm. on? You have to think about ROI. 95 percent of this 95 percent of the song is going to be a groove and i think a lot of people me including don't work on just groove and feel enough and that's what it is all about um and so you kind of you know can't see the forest for the trees that these little fun things are fun to do but have that be kind of like the dessert you have on friday nights work on that stuff and some of that stuff's great but Making it feel take t- rather than take mo- working on fifty p- hand patterns or a dozen different licks. If you're trying to learn chops, and chops are are awesome. Like we can't, we we're not going to disagree with that. Chops are awesome, but rather than trying to learn twelve of them, learn three of them and learn them extremely well. And then the same thing goes for your stickings and your grooves and so forth where like rather than learning tons of that stuff take the ones that you do know how to do and make them feel amazing exactly and that's when you develop your own voice is when you have really honed in on a specific thing that's when you become you that's so exciting to me too like hearing someone that is getting that and they're they're finding themselves it's just really cool 100 agree and so yeah i mean um I, t- touching on this, so I'm not against a practice pad by any means because I travel a lot. Uh, it's it's past 10 p.m. a lot. Almost every night it gets past 10 p.m. at one point. Um, but it's mm-hmm. a great tool when you can't have a drum set. But there is something to be said about you can be amazing at the practice pad and you bring it to the drum set and it just falls apart because like very rarely are for an entire song you're your, your elbows and your wrists are at the height of the snare drum. More often than not, you're coming from the hi-hat to the snare drum for a fill, and that yep. whipping motion is yep. different than when you're just working on the pad, so you really have to work on that. But um, how do you think it's best to incorporate like, like the kind of stuff, the doubles, the singles, the paradiddles, mm-hmm. to uh, translate that to practicing those on the drum set? I think I go right back to what you described as as uh, exploring moving around the kit yourself mm-hmm. and how your grip has to change. And doing that with your stickings is kind of the same thing. You're just then incorporating being careful about your timing and figuring out, okay, from this drum to this drum, if that's a distance of two feet, I have to make that switch quicker at this tempo then between mm-hmm. then staying on the same drum or these other two elements and so 
it goes back to all the previous stuff we talked about, which is just being very careful with how you're exploring and finding these areas to refine and work on. Just doubles alone, the timing is going to change so much or how you have to rather compensate and adjust your timing changes so much around the kit depending on A, which drum or cymbal you're on because each one rebounds differently. So you're going to have to mm-hmm. like f- accommodate for that and how much you're lifting up the stick and how fast you're doing that to get your dim- doubles to still be in time. It also changes uh, if you're s- sweeping a double from a tom to a snare drum with the same hand. That changes mm-hmm. the timing and each one of those different switches is going to be different. And it also, if you're going, if you're playing a double on a floor tom and it has no rebound, that totally changes the technique you have to do. You have to be careful about the timing of that. And maybe it's going to be a little bit different if you're coming to the floor tom for the first time rather than continuously playing doubles. I could be making that last one up. I'm not really sure. A lot of this, you start to work on it and then it becomes... You're, you get used to it and you you have adapted and you don't have to think about it anymore, which is, of course, the point is to work on the stuff so you don't have to think about it so you can get back to making music. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When you stop thinking about technique, yeah. that's when you can really actually express yourself for sure. Um, number four, myth number four, drums sound best when hit in the center. Uh, in parentheses, mm. rim shots or toms. Oh, here's a funny thing. But like what... You know, from my lessons, what what do I teach? Practice aiming for the center, right? But I always yes. immediately caveat that with you're practicing aiming for the center every time to practice accuracy, not to always mm-hmm. hit the center. Yes. So there's a so there's a number of things going on there. Um, if you want the sound of hitting the center of the drum, then practice being able to do that every single time. And then, well, obviously, you're going to get there. You're going to do it. It's going to sound. It's going to sound good. And if that's the sound you're going for, and that's the style, and it's necessary for certain, for a lot of situations, then you're in good shape. But that's not all there is. And I hear a lot of drummers that don't have control over their sound because they only know how to hit the center, or they're not choosing where to hit, and it's by mistake. Yeah. So I practice so I practice and I teach a combination of two things. One is practicing accuracy, which the first component of that is imagining that there's a bullseye in the center of your drummer pad and going for that every single time. So accuracy of your the placement of your stroke, of course, while maintaining everything said previously about dynamic consistency and time consistency. So placement physically, you know, in the center every single time you start there. And then you find out what's how it sounds different somewhere else on the drummer symbol. And then see if you can recreate that every single time. Once you combine those two things, uh, there, actually there's a little more to this, but once you combine those two things, you can start to express yourself uh, in, in a more granular way. Mm-hmm. And you're able to articulate different things. And th- th- we're literally talking about art- articulation. So th- there's just an infinite number of ways you can play your hi-hat. It, it, it's, it's almost endless. And being able to do that on command is really good, rather than accidentally changing the way you hit the hi-hat. Mm-hmm. 
that's kind of that's that's my thing it is doing that of course and teaching it and helping people to be able to control that sort of thing so that like when you want a certain way to make your snare drum bark because it's just right and that's what you're feeling for the music then you can do that and you're not stuck with just one way of hitting that drum because there's just, there's just a million ways it lets your voice be heard more and it lets your emotions come through as well so it's it's really fun how, how do you what's your general approach to how you articulate on, on the on the drum set in this way I guess it depends on if we're doing samples or not. Um, if it's going to be a, yeah. if it's going to be kind of supplemented with samples, I would say to mm-hmm. be as consistently in the center as possible. Because even if you, you know, sneak some samples in with a percentage, if if the thing underneath it is is varying a bit, then it's going to sound wonky. Um, so I'm 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 with you. You should be able to. Uh, for a consistent sound to be able to have new heads and after a recording session or a practice session, you see the marks in the center of the head. Of course, I don't think you and me are debating that at all. But if I only had the center of my snare, my tom and my floor tom as options for sonic expressions, that's that's the most, I mean, I'm sure I could make, you know, think of a million patterns, but it's like, that's rough, you know? It it starts to sound like electronic drums at that point. Actually, exactly. think about like how the ride sam- sample is always the same on a lot of electronic drums. Uh, imagine if you could only hit a ride sa- ride symbol and it sounded like the exact same hit every single time. Uh, that, exactly. that would be hard. Yeah, and so I think just it, it it depends on the context of music. But I mean, I know you can also you know put your put your stick in the center of the drum and hit it. And like depending on how hard you're hitting it, you can have different tunings for your drums. And you know it's going to have yeah. different overtones as you move out outward as opposed to the center of the drum. Um, it's just, it's fun. It's just kind of to, to have this in the same session where you're going around the kit and and worrying about your wrist and how you're opening up with your grip and stuff, play around with how your drums can sound. Cause you might make your three piece drum set into a 10 piece drum set without even realizing it, you know? Absolutely. And you know, this is something, and I mentioned, I have, you know, friends of mine, some of the greatest drummers alive. Like I, sometimes some of them, their sound is not hitting rim shots in the center their, their sound is hitting off from the center and it gives it a little bit of a different tone and, and crack to it which is particular to them and their voice and their sound and they're able to be consistent with that which is the key thing so it's not varying if they don't intend it to vary uh my personal style and sound is that i love playing my ghost notes off center and i chose and i chose that i remember as a teenager practicing realizing Hmm. These ghost notes. I like the way they're a light. They're lighter, and a brighter, lighter, ringier tone on the side. So I'm going to practice my grooves where I hit the rim shot in the center, and then whenever I play ghost notes, I'm playing near the edge, and then I come back to hit the rim shot in the center. So that was something that I very consciously said. I'm going to practice this very carefully, so that even though my snare hand is moving around. It always comes back to a center, center hit, and then the ghost note is where I intend it to be. And it's a very different sound than if I played all those ghost notes in the center as well, which is which is a style you'll see, and that's its own different sound, and that's great too. But being able to have those choices is a power some of us don't know we have, and you have that power. And it's just it's freeing and it's fun, and you get to, you know, it, you get to mess around more, which I kind of do. Mm-hmm. I 
I even say half jokingly, half seriously, that when I do all that stuff you hear and I'm playing around with the sound of the snare drum and hitting it near the edge and hitting the rims and getting all these rings out of it, I'm half just hitting it randomly. And whatever happens, happens. And it's half a joke and it's half real because I am controlling what I'm doing. But if I slightly hit the rim too much and, and less of the head... It works because it all kind of works because the context has changed where I'm doing that stuff on purpose. I'm hitting some rims on purpose. I'm getting some shallow rim shots. And um, yeah, you get to just kind of mess around and the context changes uh, your sound as well. It's a lot of fun. Well, it's cool too if, if you were doing that and then like play a little game with yourself where you can be a little more improvisational. And then if you do a and you're like oh now you keep, mm-hmm. keep playing your, your single strokes and you're like i'm gonna count myself off and i want to see if i can recreate that random piece of magic yes. and uh exactly that should be the new intro of the song of the show <laughs> uh but yeah just being able to have the improvisational moments but then knowing that if i wanted to i could recreate that um yes and yeah there has to be a level of intention there like we're not saying that Hey man, if you just hit wherever you want in the tom, that's okay because there's more than one place to hit it. It's like no, you, if you want to hit it in a certain place because you think it sounds cool for that particular context, have the ability to hit yeah. it at that quote unquote weird spot every time when you want to. So that's why you're saying practice at first hitting in the center. Yeah, practice control and then get weird with it. Yes, <laughs> a lot of good one-liners here. Uh, well, that's that's the four. I mean, I think that. I mean, there's a million things we could think of, but I think those are ones that I think are pretty prevalent. And it's not like the lies that we said were wrong. If a teacher said that and then yeah. kind of followed up with something to be a little more specific about it, sure. But I think a lot mm-hmm. of people, um, and again, I think the reason why I was so excited to have you on the show is because I'm in that state where I am now reevaluating everything I was taught, everything I do myself. And I want to get back yeah. to those basics and I want to be a geek about it again. And I want to have, I want to be able to watch myself in a video and be like, I like what I see. Cause right now I don't like what I see. <laughs> the people that pay me to be in their band, like what they hear, but I don't <laughs> like what I see. And I know that I can be better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy to justify as a 33 year old man who's been doing this a while to literally do the quarter notes at 50 BPM. But you said it best when, um, and then I forget what you said. I'll find it all over double. You said earlier, but like, <laughs> it might take longer, but you'll get better faster, which I think that should be the title for your website right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Wait, wait. Okay. I'm going to listen back to, to catch that. Yeah. But, uh, one, one more thing I, I say about that. You're talking about the, the quarter notes, man. I've been teaching to some students when we're going over this stuff lately. I've been I've been saying if you can't play quarter notes perfectly at 50 BPM with perfectly in time with the click at the same dynamic level every time. If you can't play quarter notes at 50 perfectly, why are you playing anything else? Yeah. Get that. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to make everything better from there. Oh, and uh, by the way, I can't play I can't play that perfectly. <laughs> I, I still will go back and do that, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's a never-ending journey, and I st- still love f- finding that stuff. Right now, like maybe over the past year or two, I've been focusing on doing that with unisons and honing unisons in that kind of context. So really nerdy stuff. But that's 
I think it's it's fun. That's the stuff that gets me off. So I I love that stuff. Um, and I think you had written it down. If you spend months and only work on singles, doubles, and paradiddle variations only, uh, that's you'd be surprised how that would exponentially increase your overall value as as a drummer. Um, yes, absolutely. You know, we can add a couple more to that flams and whatnot, but but yeah. that principle, mm-hmm. that principle of few things, master them, learn to speak with them, learn to control them, uh, because you're learning to, contr- to control yourself and control your mm-hmm. voice. Uh, and, you know, that's that's where it's at. I love it. Well, um, where can people find you? Do a little self-promotion. Where can they find you on the interwebs? And I, I know you had mentioned a few things in the email that are coming up. I'm not sure how much you want to uh, divulge, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you we're, the floor. We're not ready for that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you exactly. can find me, uh, you know, in various places on the Internet. If you I mean, if you just search my name on most platforms, uh, my website is DimitriFantini.com. And I'm going to spell it for you because... You know, it's weird. So it's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-F-A-N-T-I-N-I, a lot of I's. And you can find me, you know, I post a lot to Instagram because it's fun and doing some YouTube stuff. I've got some video series coming out soon. Uh, definitely sign up for the free lessons on my website because then there's so much getting added to that uh in the in the near future over over this year and more like we're adding tons to that so if you just go to dimitrifantini.com scroll down sign up for the free lessons lots of good stuff there all right well i will uh i hope you have a good day and i'll talk to you soon man thank you so much ben you too all right peace we did it and podcast and that's the show Be sure to subscribe, and if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, Anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at isotope.com. Bye.